Hi, and welcome to our podcast. My name is Megan. My name is Hannah. I'm Rachel. I'm Anna. And I'm Lauren. So today we're reading and discussing The Iraqi Nights by Dunya McHale, and it was translated from Arabic by Kareem James Abouzid. Dunya McHale was born in Iraq in 1965. While working in, as a journalist, she faced increasing threats from the Iraqi authorities and fled first to Jordan, then to the United States. In 2001, she was awarded the UN Human Rights Award for Freedom of Writing, and in 2013, a Crest Artist Fellowship. Her first book of poems in English, The War Works Hard, was named one of the 25 books to remember by the New York Public Library in 2005. Her second collection, Diary of a Wave Outside the Sea, won the 2010 Arab American Book Award for Poetry. She currently lives in Michigan and works as an Arabic instructor for Oakland University. In the Iraqi Nights, the acclaimed Iraqi poet Dunya Mikhail personifies the role of Shazarada in the Thousand and One Nights, who saves herself through the telling of tales. Unlike Shahrazada, Mikhail isn't writing to escape death, but to confront it through grief and love while summoning the strength to endure. Though the nights are dark in this haunting collection, seemingly as endless as war, the poet cannot stop dreaming of a future beyond the violence of a country where every moment something ordinary will happen under the sun. Mikhail threads her vivid illustrations of ancient Sumerian tablets and her handwritten Arabic through an imaginative sequence of haiku-like poems providing a powerful visual counterpoint. So the A Thousand and One Nights um, is a story of monarch Shariar. Um, he found out his wife was unfaithful to him, and so he vowed to marry a new virgin each day and behead the previous day's wife so that he they would not have the opportunity to be unfaithful to him. And he killed a thousand and one women before Scheherazade came. And then she told the king stories every night to keep herself alive. And then on the thousand and first night, um, he spared her life because he fell in love with her and married her and made her his queen. Okay, so on page 31, poem number 19, says, Far away from home, that's all that changed in us. What do you guys think of that? I think it can go a couple ways, actually. Um, when it says that's all that changed in us, it could be simply, that's all that changed, we're far away from home. But it could also be read that because they were far away from home, every change that they've been through was the formation of all those changes. That's all that changed in us, you know, everything that's changed since leaving. So it's kind of interesting because you can kind of read it a couple of mm -hmm. different ways there and it can really kind of fit into the diaspora in that sort of a way that there's so many things that change after you leave your home and what you're familiar with and your culture and, you know, group of like friends and stuff behind. I think that really also speaks to kind of like going off of what you said, just 
that's all that's changed. There's kind of like that um, statement of like this self-identity is still there. It's just maybe like the geographical location or the national location or just wherever they've gone to is the only thing that's changed. You know, they're still themselves, mm-hmm. which is kind of opposite to what you said, but I think that agrees with that it can be read so many different ways. Yeah, yeah. Also that it's in us, it's like implying a sort of community or shared experience. It's not just like one person. Mm-hmm. It's like a group of people that mm-hmm. have been displaced from their home. Yeah, I wondered about that us too. Like, mm-hmm. you know, is it a couple? Mm-hmm. You know, like a man and woman who go and and they've both changed and have they changed like they're changing separately, mm-hmm. you know, or are they changing as a group? Yeah, yeah, there's, there's kind of, there could be a few things implied in that us. Yeah. There's also like the question of like a couple who chooses to ch- change their location versus like a family that's been displaced or an individual. Well, not individual because it's plural to us, but yeah. I also felt like these poems at the beginning that were all numbered responded to the, um, how she's making this prompt for herself to embody the Thousand and One Nights mm-hmm. story where you, the character tells stories to stay alive because mm-hmm. someone's going to kill her. Um, so I don't know, like story, like this like community telling stories in order to like get like survival or like, I don't know. So I don't know about in the book, but I know on Poetry Foundation, which she's also published on, she has these titles as, as tablets, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. I thought was kind of interesting, especially considering kind of like the Arabic writing and yeah. drawings that she includes in them. Mm-hmm. So that kind of makes me question if she kind of chose the title tablets to kind of invoke an imagery and almost like the English as a translation rather than the actual poem itself. Also, since, um, so if you're listening, um, there is a drawing <laughs> on the page, um, and since we, so I don't know how we would describe what this image yeah, is. Yeah, it's kind of hard to, um, to say I, what that is. There's like an extra layer where since none of us can read the language that she's using, we don't know if it is a translation, we don't know if it's like two messages for two different audiences, mm-hmm. like, um. It would be interesting to translate it and, like, I don't know. Just to clarify, if you're listening and you're looking at the tablet, (laughs) if you're not, disregard. (laughs) What's interesting is that she's she's taken um, the Arabic language and kind of changed it into drawing so it's not just written linear or even, it's just all the words change into different pictures almost. But what I like about this one is it kind of almost makes me question if she included like hieroglyphs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. So like yeah. Arabic yeah. and hieroglyphs, because that's not Arabic, I don't mm-hmm. think. I have no way to describe this besides I see like an eight and a palm tree. Um, yeah. yeah. And some triangles and dots. Yep. So that I don't speak Arabic or write Arabic, but I don't think that is Arabic. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that is hieroglyphs but that's kind of what it reminds me of well and once you said that it was tablets that makes sense to like the tablets with hieroglyphs Mm -hmm. it kind of pulls that concept i think in some later ones there's one that actually looks like a hieroglyph because there's two people on the next page yeah 33 it's got a bunch of different um images like sequential yeah just one after the other and they just yeah birds and it's like trying to communicate something and i don't know that it goes with that poem 
don't know the significance, but it looks like there's a symbol for it, every word or something I'm trying to figure out on the 31 what these. Well, on that one on 33, it might not. Do we care? Let's read it real quick. Okay. Just because, um, like you said, it gives you that hieroglyph on a tablet. Mm -hmm. But then the start of the uh, poem is interesting because it says instant messages ignite revolutions so thinking like of an instant message coming across Technical. your yeah yeah and starting it but you know it's it's a symbol it symbolizes something you know that starts a revolution and yet these are symbols on the page there too mm -hmm. so instant messages ignite revolutions they spark new lives waiting for a country to download a land that's little more than a handful of dust when faced with these words there are no results that match your search. And that could speak to um, the, the like oppression that the, the Iraqi people had to deal with. with their, uh, I think I was reading on her website, maybe on Poetry Foundation, that there was a lot of censorship. Like the government mm -hmm. had a department of censorship or, or something like that that um, would watch anything that was put out for mm -hmm. um, any kind of wording that might ignite a revolution oh. or any sort of um, any sort of protest or any kind of sort of communication that wasn't in line with what the government um, was trying to put out. So in her, po um, I think in the Poetry Foundation, she talks about how a lot of these poems have deeper messages and like that could be what these like if they're higher hieroglyphics mm -hmm. or the writing is communicating and just I mean the nuance like the multi-layered um meanings in her poems themselves they could be speaking to someone else um mm -hmm. I looked it up if you want the quote because mm -hmm. she says in Iraq there was a department of censorship censorship with actual employees whose job which was to watch public morals and decide what you should read and write. Every writer needed approval first before publishing. That's why I used a lot of metaphors and layers of meaning. This was probably good for my poetry, but still, you do not want to use such figures of speech just to hide meanings. Mm -hmm. So I like that she was like, I did what I needed to do publish, but mm -hmm. I'm hoping that doesn't cover it up. Mm -hmm. I think I wrote a yeah, I wrote a quote down from that article as well. It said, kind of at the end of that quote, it talks about in Iraq, text precedes censorship. In America, censorship precedes the text. Hmm. Which that's, is really that's interesting to think yeah. about. Kind of eye opening. Yeah. Can you say that again? <laughs> in I, in, yeah, in Iraq, text precedes censorship. In America, censorship precedes the text. Hmm. So, the fact that they have a department of censorship. Text precedes censorship. So the text. I don't the text know. comes first, right. then gets censored. And then it gets censored. Whereas I feel like what she's saying is in America, we tend to censor it before we speak it or write it. You know, yeah. we have that in mind, whereas she's trying to get out what she means and says, and then let somebody else censor it. Whereas I think in America, a lot of time we censor ourselves guess, because yeah. of just the environment that Which we're is, in. It's funny because the general. Um, feeling about America for us the people who live in America is that we have free speech and we can say whatever we want but that's 
sometimes that doesn't, sometimes we're limited by our ideology. Mm-hmm. And it's funny from an outside, an outsider's um, point of view, the way that we maybe communicate or thoughts or ideas. I never really thought of it like that before. Mm-hmm. She does make a good point. This might be a good segue into the poem you were talking about, too, with the tech, you know. Okay, so the poem is on page 45. It's called Your Email. When your name appears on the screen, all the planets converge for me, and even Pluto joins in. The vine ripens for me and extends to the neighbor's garden. Ishtar comes back to life to sing a song for the wrecked cities. She washes the dust from her face, spins graceful as a dancer, sends all the soldiers home, and sets the sparrow's broken leg. It too, it too is wounded in the land between two rivers. Ishtar's leaving through the gate, but I'm still waiting for your email. The screen reflects a pair of weary eyes while the hands of my watch embrace in the middle of your silence. So something that I've been interested in and researching lately is um, digitality and technology and kind of like the ideologies that undergird technology, not so much the like specific tools or platforms. So like when we were talking in the last thing about um, censorship preceding text, Mm -hmm. like um, when you're looking at digital platforms and things like Twitter and all these like platforms where we think we can just write stuff, it's always mediated through a specific encoding system Mm -hmm. that we don't understand. And so like that is specifically like that ambiguousness of like we're typing things into this, we don't know how it works, um, is actually like uh, setting sort of limits on what can be expressed and like it creates a reality where you think anything can be digitized um so i liked this poem because she was talking about multiple different forms of technology at the same time so like waiting for the email and then seeing her eyes in the screen and then the hands on the watch embracing and then still not getting the response so i don't know what you guys feel about it. <laughs> yeah, we were talking about this earlier too, and for me what I was mostly feeling from like the ones that um, are talking about te- technical stuff like for me tech meaning like uh, sending an email or using your cell phone to text a message and start a revolution or whatever. Um, the one thing that I just kept getting from it all was that these electronic forms of media, I guess I would say that we have um, are just something that kind of level the playing field around the world. Although I guess that that now to me sounds like maybe that's not true because if they could uh, censor you know, an email message that you're sending and it doesn't go through or can't leave your country, then the the playing field isn't actually leveled. I don't know if that, you know, is the case that, you know, like if you wanted to, you know, you're in Egypt, you're seeing a student uprising, you're, you're filming it on your camera and you go to send it, can they block you from sending it? And if that's the case, yeah. then it isn't really leveling the playing field at all. Yeah. Um, it's still 
it's you like know, pay for an, some people over others. Yeah, it's like another tool that gets controlled and disproportionately. Like, even in this country, like, I was watching something about access to Wi-Fi. Mm-hmm. And, like, the communities that don't have access to the internet, it really shuts you out of so much. Like, it shuts mm-hmm. you out of knowledge and, like, connections and, mm-hmm. like... um being able to apply for jobs or look up jobs or like look up bus schedules and so it falls along the same lines that we've always seen people be disenfranchised along just now with like a different tool or a different mm-hmm. like gadget so it's like it's not just like a like this book I'm reading right now talks about how technology isn't just this amazing like thing that's going to fix our problems but like our problems get encoded within it and then replicated more and they become more invisible. So it's like, oh, we're just Googling something. That's everything. And it's like, well, it's actually one company and like looking at like what the kind of control that does have on different communities and even like how we relate to each other and how we form relationships, mm-hmm. I think is really interesting. Okay. The other poem that, oh, sorry. No, you're totally fine. I was just gonna kind of touch on something like both in, both of you kind of try, like barely skimmed a little bit, but I think there's the idea that our Google and our Facebook and our websites in the US are kind of similar to a lot of other countries. But if you go to a lot of different countries, their internet search sites and their yeah. websites are so much different mm-hmm. from ours and set up so completely different. So I think there's even just that separation between like regions or countries. I'm not really sure yeah. entirely how it works because I know a lot of European countries use the same one. So I don't want to say countries, but like, so even the internet setup and encoding and stuff changes regionally. So there's even that barrier between, like, everyone. Mm-hmm. Like, China's really controlled. Yeah. I mean, I, even yeah. when I was there, you know, I couldn't get onto, there's you know, you search engines at all. Yeah. Yeah, because you're limited in who yeah. you can access and what kind of information you can gather. Yeah, so. Well, I wonder in this last pair, uh, stanza of that poem, too, where she says, uh, Ishitar's leading through the gate, but I'm still waiting for your email. The screens reflect a pair of weary eyes while the hands of my watch embrace in the middle of your silence. And there could be a lot of different reasons. Why is that silence there? Is he not able to get his message through? Has something happened to him that he, he she, whoever it is, mm-hmm. um, that they can't send the message? You know, have they died in a war? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I know like after my mom passed away that I kept a lot of her emails and I would just go and look at them and I, mm-hmm. you know, kept you know, like her email address. And there was always that kind of wishful hope to see an email pop up from mom, even though you knew it was never going to come. And is there something of that nature going on in this too, where you're waiting, you know, for somebody who's maybe in a war zone, the email's not coming through. So we don't really know is the writer like in America waiting for someone somewhere else. I really like that. Like maybe just like different lines of communications that aren't able to reach each other kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there could be a lot of different meanings inside of this. It's kind of hard to say. The other poem that I felt like really touched on the, like, machines and technology was on 73 called Murmurs at the Intensive Care Unit. Mm. Um, He was in the coffee shop when he fainted. No, he's never suffered a heart attack before. He has a life he must return to. He can't just leave like that without a word. He loves photography and the smell of coffee. What does it mean when the machine beeps? Did you see the last picture he sent? He's scared of injections. He was planning a trip to Michigan. 
He's breathing through the machine. There's hope if he'd only open his eyes. But he moved his hand a little when she spoke. His voicemail is full. So, like, I just love this poem. Um, I felt like it was asking a lot of these questions of, like, we are dependent on these machines, especially, like, with her backstory of being um, forced out of Iraq because mm-hmm. the of the journalism she was doing and it being a threat. Like, um, I don't know, like, breathing through the machine, but we don't know what it means when it beeps and his voicemail's full. There's, like, this chaos where there's also an extension of life it's also confusing and we don't know what's going on with it and like not being able to communicate on the same things that are supposed to make it easier to communicate it like creates kind of a dysphoric like black mirror feeling of like uh like everything because even on the page everything is like dashed and like disjointed Um, yeah and there's no other poems in here like that where like Mm -hmm. each line starts like these are all cut off from different conversations. Mm-hmm. There's quite a few things that I feel are kind of disjointed too, like the poem that Anna's going to do next, you know, has that kind of disjointed feel, but they're not in any way the same. I mean, the way that they're structured and stuff, they're very different. Mm-hmm. But even like the early poems that have uh, the imagery, and we said it looks kind of like hieroglyphs, for us, it's disjointed because none of us speak the language that she's writing in when she does those. None of us read hieroglyphs. Now, if you could read it, it might have some other real different meaning for you. But I think by using that, and if you've got a, a Western audience, you know, reading your poetry who only speak English, it's also very disjointed because there could be so many different kind of levels and meanings you're kind of cut off from. So, yeah. She does that in quite a few of her pieces and just in very different ways. Mm-hmm. So the poem that I chose was on page 60. It's called A Half-Burned Page on Al-Mutanabi Street. Is this a sign then? This page floating in the air? This page floating from a half-burned book? This half-burned book on Al-Mutanabi Street? Al-Mutanabi Street, whose tales were cut short by a bomb, that bomb that scattered all those pages, as if searching desperately for some meaning, this very page from The Ring of the Dove, the one that flew up and fell to the ground again, the one that crept in among the scattered bodies, the one now clinging to her chest, aren't these the very same lines, the ones that were once recited to her? As I come to you, I hurry like the full moon crossing the sky. And as I leave, if I leave, I move as slowly as the stars fixed in the sky. The structure of the words on this page, when I read it, it felt like I... The image that it brought to my mind was, um, if, if you like, are trying to catch pieces of paper that are floating down from the sky because it's so um there's so much space between the words and so you're kind of grasping at each word um unless you read it like a full sentence but if you read it like the single words they they take on like an almost a different meaning like a clinging or um there's an expression of of yearning or a wanting um, and I just thought that it was really beautiful the way that it expressed such a feeling of of need 
I really like kind of how you described that. That picture, I really love that imagery that you created, especially because it's kind of like this idea of trying to find a purpose or reason mm -hmm. in such chaos, mm -hmm. like such sudden chaos. Um, so I really like that. Kind of, I think on the sixth or seventh line down, the the bomb that scattered all those pages. So from that, I just imagine um, just tiny pieces of paper and you're just trying to catch the the meaning in that that falls back down and it just really like left an image imprinted on me that I that I just really got a lot out of I it's a really beautiful poem if anybody's listening to this hello um it's kind of like the zong poems a little bit too the way this is spread out on the page not quite as spread out as the song I think it's a little easier to follow but yeah mm -hmm. it is kind of fragmented on the paper even you know what I just noticed too that and I've read this a couple times but I just now caught this is that a whole lot of these sentences end with a question mark and I think that's interesting too mm -hmm. I mean it seems to just be telling us a story of something that happened but yet why did she put a question mark on the end of each of them you know it's somehow questioning what really happened there like maybe because of the confusion of a bomb blast, you know, like you said, mm -hmm. um, like, why did it happen? Well, questioning. Yeah. Or, and the I'm first sure. line of the, the poem, is this a sign then? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's almost as if she's trying to find meaning in a war or a meaning in the, the violence that is, it's been put upon these people. Like, what does it mean? And why did it happen? And yeah, it's all a big question. So much of it. Yeah, I like the whole layout of it because I thought it worked well with what the topic was, too, because by fragmenting it on the mm -hmm. paper, it is like after a bomb blast, yeah. the words are scattered across the page, you know, disconnected and, and broken apart, blown yeah. apart. And like the song, it, it, the poetry there, it's, it's also frustrating to read, which kind of expresses a frustration in trying to find meaning in like a senseless war and, and so much violence and trauma. Like, how do those people... Um, deal with what is happening to them as a as a whole, as a country, families, um, the erasure and like the violence that is brought upon them. How do they justify that or make sense of it? It's also interesting, like all of the questions, and then it's like the answer is the lines from the yeah. page, mm -hmm. and even within that there's hesitation like as I leave if I leave so we don't even know if this speaker is leaving in the page that we don't know if it's the page like everything about this is uncertain and like all those blank spaces just make me think of like missing pieces like all the stuff that was left like mm -hmm. that we can't like get out of whatever this mm -hmm. like you know like I a puzzle you can't ever put together yeah. just pieces are missing from it maybe mm -hmm. or something something else about the punctuation is there's quote marks around the only lines that don't have question mm -hmm. marks. Mm -hmm. I don't know what you guys think of that. But I so that's kind of like a verbal answer mm -hmm. almost. And then the other thing is that even though there are these like gaps, um, all of the sentences, like the syntax works, like you can still read mm -hmm. everything. So it's like there's still a clear meaning to it but then there's also gaps so like there was another thing yeah. it could have meant that we don't it's know. complicated that's yeah. true the meaning is more complicated yeah. by the spaces 
Yeah. Yeah. Could you fit other things into there? Mm -hmm. Like aren't, then there's a break. These, then there's a break. The very same lines. Okay, so the poem that I chose is uh, on page 70 and just goes into page 71, and it is called Another Planet. I have a special ticket to another planet beyond this earth, a comfortable world and beautiful, a world without much smoke, not too hot and not too cold. The creatures are gentler there, and the governments have no secrets. The police are non-existent. There are no problems and no fights. And the schools don't exhaust their students with too much work, for history has yet to start, and there's no geography and no other languages. And even better, the war has left its R behind and turned into love, so the wondrous sleep beneath the dust. Oh, sorry, so the weapons sleep beneath the dust. And the planes pass by without shelling the cities, and the boats look like smiles on the water. All things are peaceful and kind on the other planet beyond this earth, but still I hesitate to go there, to go alone. You know, I actually read this poem quite a few times, and uh, the very first time that I read it, the thought that I had was that um, wherever there are two, you know, people more than just one person, there's always going to be conflict, and. That was just what I was thinking about, you know, when I first read this, is that she's just saying, okay, whenever more than one person is involved, there's going to be some kind of conflict. But as I read it more, I actually kind of started to turn in how I thought about it. Um, and it kind of hinges on the last two sentences there, but still I hesitate to go alone. So I'm wondering, like, on that, still I hesitate to go alone. Um, it's kind of like, this other planet is really peaceful and, and still you're afraid to go there by yourself. So are you afraid, even though it's really peaceful and calm that you're going to like be this other and you're going to be there alone and isolated? Um, or my other thought was um, you're hesitating to go alone because you're afraid of losing all your connection to your culture and people that you've left. So I don't know. I thought those last two sentences, a lot of what I was, you know, that we read in this poem hinges on those sentences and what we interpret that, but still I hesitate to go alone to be sane. Mm -hmm. I, I feel like almost both of those could be true at the same time. Too. Like if it's fearing what you're losing and also feeling like who you will be in this new mm -hmm. context, mm -hmm. maybe like both. <laughs> I was going to kind of tie it along with more, like, obviously those last two points you made. But I like what you said about how if there's any two people, there's conflict. So I kind of, going off of that idea, I like that she admits that there's this possibility, if you are alone, that you could have all this peace. Yeah. But it also ties back to that human need for connection and interaction as social beings. So I thought it was interesting how she's willing to explore this idea of, like, um almost like solo peace mm -hmm. but there's still that fear that you don't know what you're going to become by yourself mm -hmm. so you almost need another person even if there's going to be conflict that raises me a, a personally like a question is like okay so the idea of uh, like say you go to a desert island and you're the only one there you know and 
relatively speaking, you're thinking, okay, this is going to be really peaceful. But can just one person isolated alone, can they have a culture? I mean, is culture itself hinged upon the idea that it's a shared group, which it kind of seems it is? Um, yeah, and so that, you know, if there's just this only one person, then there is no culture. There is no, I don't know, all these other things. I don't have an answer for that question, but I love that question. Just is, can culture exist with just one person? Yeah. Because I think that is such a brilliant question to ask and that has so many answers based on individuals and cultures alike so I think that's a really great question mm -hmm. like I said I don't have a direct yes or no or answers the other thing that I thought was interesting is that on this other planet where it's like perfect um, mm -hmm. there's no other languages so it's mm -hmm. like she can only imagine a like lack of war if there was no difference like, mm -hmm. um, like a homogenous mm -hmm. culture without something else. I don't know. I she like that you brought up lack because when I read this poem, I thought of just death and the afterlife, but I still hesitate to go alone. People are afraid mm -hmm. of death. Mm -hmm. And that lack is like, just enriches this poem for me because it's talking about all the problems on the world, like the police and, um, wars and languages and like fighting and um and all this division and then it just kind of speaks to like a peaceful quiet place where they don't have languages they don't have geography there's nothing there's there's no division um and she kind of talks about the weapons sleeping and um it just, to me, it just really reminded me of, of going into the afterlife, going into death. Um, and if people don't want to die alone. How oh, interesting. I like that that version, especially since it says, um, for history has not, has yet to start. So there's kind of like this mm -hmm. almost like standstill of time mm -hmm. that you think about, like when they're like in the afterlife, you don't really assimilate time and afterlife. Yeah. I thought of it the same exact way, and especially when you read the lines six and seven, where it says not too hot and not too cold, because, I mean, no one's going to think the perfect temperature is the same as someone else's perfect temperature and that mm -hmm. kind of stuff, so, like, everything in this poem, it's almost, like, singular, like, it's mm -hmm. perfect for me, but it's not going to be perfect for somebody else. Mm -hmm. Well, and she says the creatures, you know, she said not too cold, and then she said the creatures are gentler here. And so are the creatures simply that she's only with like animals or, you know, I don't know. It doesn't speak to a specific form. So it could almost be ghosts or, I mean, I don't know, yeah. whatever can exist in the afterlife, which is so ambiguous anyway. And so the, the mystery that this poem speaks to seems to speak to the afterlife for me yeah especially because it even just says beyond this earth so it's you know you could do another place but i think that really speaks to like something that isn't physical anymore because it no longer exists in the physical form on this planet is she um muslim do we know or is she a christian do we have any idea you know, I was just thinking, like, you could go the opposite direction with this, too, and this could be, like, that very early moment if you were a Christian and you, you know, followed that teaching that Adam was alone, you know, 
at the very beginning. So there was no one to have conflict with. It was like everything was perfect and calm and he was the one. Um, you could kind of see that, like you said, with going into death and everything kind of starting anew and you're there alone. And it seems like there's just a few singular points in time that you could point to where there's that concept of just one, just, you know, one. And is one a person or is one like some kind of all-encompassing God where we say we're all part of this bigger whole? I mean, there, there's a lot of ways you, I think you could go with this piece. But another planet, even the title signifies it somewhere like yeah. death other yeah. than here, you know. And is it possible to even have another planet with humans on it without it being corrupted by yeah. all the things that we, what's to say that if even if you do have another planet that we're not going to corrupt it just being yeah. the imperfect we are. humans that, that we are. Mm -hmm. I think this poem is also really interesting with that to connect to her other poem on page 12, mm. where she talks about, like, a version of peace in Iraq that's, like, very, very grounded in the very, like, mundane things. Like, the things that she's dreaming of are, like, women will walk the streets without looking back in fear. Men will give their real names without putting their lives at risk. Like, this idea that people can just live among each other. Um, and at the end, and every moment, something ordinary will happen under the sun. Like, her vision of uh, heaven on earth is very different from her vision of uh, if we're looking at, like, an afterlife or some kind of ideal state. is like, very different than the one she imagines by herself. Mm -hmm. So, I tried to look up to see if she is Muslim or not. And a lot of websites that talk about her or discuss her kind of give all the same general information. So, yeah, I, I couldn't see. Yeah, I was just that. curious. But I do want to mention something really cool. Um, she is like currently a professor. Yeah, she's actually on rate by professor right now. Oh, which yeah. is yeah. kind of interesting. Cause <laughs> Should I, we give her a good rate? <laughs> yeah. Well, is she in yeah. California? Is that she's in in Michigan? Michigan. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But I just thought that was kind of cool. I feel like that gives kind of more like. Mm -hmm. a well, check. send her our podcast. rocked me like mm. um chickens in the villages won't pe peck at human flesh on the grass mm. yeah that's uh -huh. just that imagery is so haunting yeah it just i like stopped for a second when i read that and just somebody ought to read that whole poem that's a really nice one and it does kind of tie in nice it's called Seven. Yeah. <laughs> in a rock, after a thousand and one nights, someone will talk to someone else. Markets will open for regular customers. Small feet will tickle the giant feet of the tigress. Gulls will spread their wings and no one will fire at them. Women will walk the streets without looking back in fear. Men will give their real names without putting their lives at risk. Children will go, will go to school and come home again. Chickens in the villages won't peck at human flesh on the grass. Disputes will take place without any explosives. A cloud will pass over cars heading to work as usual. A hand will wave to someone leaving or returning. The sunrise will be the same for those who wake and those who never will. 
and every moment something ordinary will happen under the sun. Also, just like children will go to school and come yeah. home again. I think it's very graphic, yeah. you know, what it's saying here. Yeah, yeah. you can entire, see the horror of what's yeah. occurring. I was gonna say this entire boat is just almost like chilling to it, or mm -hmm. just. The fact that things that we experience on the ordinary day is something they wish for and dream of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But isn't reality. Yeah, things that Americans take for granted because we don't, there's no war on our land. Mm -hmm. I don't think we can really fathom for yeah. years. So. Yeah. yeah. We haven't had to deal with this kind of hardship. Also, this was, I think it was the only time that she explicitly mentions the Thousand and One Nights. That's kind of the yeah, oh, yeah. for the collection. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I made a note, like, in that story, she's keeping herself alive through stories from mm -hmm. this man. And, like, if that's connected to war, like, keeping yeah. a sense of... Like, um, once the threat is over, mm -hmm. like, after the nights, once we, like, can... And that that just like waiting for that has just extended yeah. into forever because it's an endless just mm -hmm. Okay, so on page five, um, there's gonna be a picture on the padlet if someone's listening, but there's a picture of a hand and then the author's um written on the hand with Arabic, um, on the thumb, on the wrist, on the long lines of your hand, and also on the fingertips. Um, this really caught my eye. I don't speak or read Arabic at all, so I have no idea what it says, but I just, it really stood out to me just because it's such a, like, like, gripping piece of art used, like, with the use of words. Um, and on page four, there's a poem which we are kind of assuming goes with the hand. Um, this, again, is just an assumption, but I'm going to read the poem. It says, her hand holding a gift, her mother's outstretched hand behind her, the hand of her childhood doll who sings when you press a button, the hand of her abductor dragging her along, the hand that wipes away a tear, the hand that turns over the nights in an old calendar, the hand that waves in greeting or farewell or for help. The hand with all its lines, the line of life, the line of love, the line of fate. Um, so I really like this hand because I did do a little research to see if in Iraq during weddings they do henna as well. Because I knew it was something they did in India. And it turns out they do. So when I kind of learned that and I read the poem, it kind of reminded me of almost a forced marriage a little bit with the corresponding poem just you know somebody who is forced into this and has these markings on their hand that they put there or someone else put there and but I think this poem also has different translations that we we're talking about as well <clears throat> I think Rachel and I had kind of read it similar in that we read it kind of like palmistry or kind of when you read um your future from the lines of the hand, the line of life, the line of love, line of fate. Um, but I really like that you found something different in that and you thought of the henna and um, that just kind of brings up a different um, different thought that 
it hadn't occurred to me when I read it first. Mm-hmm. I like how it kind of, um, I mean, I'm, I don't like, I think it's interesting how it kind of talks about, like, the hand that waves in greeting or farewell or for help, like, mm-hmm. that you don't, like, there's so many signals that we see and they could mean so many different things. Mm-hmm. And there's, like, a version of that that's very violent. And then there's a version of that that's just, like, hello. <laughs> so, like, welcoming, kind of. Yeah, like, yeah. it's, like, everything that a wave can mean mm-hmm. in one, like, um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I also think it's interesting how each line is almost describing a different person's hand because it starts mm-hmm. out saying her hand and then her mother's hand and then it goes into the hand of her doll and then the hand of her abductor and so it goes in and explains like different people's hands I guess. Mm-hmm. Also her hand holding a gift as the beginning is in- interesting to me. Like, I think maybe you could almost read it as like having that gift of being able to signal a greeting or a farewell or help, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of the ability to do that almost like Mm -hmm. as a gift, you know, have another person understand you through similar like signals. Yeah. And it's like, we don't even know if she's holding a gift that she just got or if she's Mm -hmm. giving someone a gift. Like everything about this is so ambiguous. And then we don't know what it says on the hand because Mm -hmm. we can't read it. Yeah. What I thought was kind of interesting, especially going off of the palm reading, is that it says the line of life, the line of love, the line of fate. And then there is, in the hand, the only, like, besides the outline, the only really, like, um, detailed part of the hand that isn't words are those three lines that are commonly read in Mm -hmm. palm reading which I believe are love, life, and yeah, fate. Yeah. So I don't know if the, that's what's written on them, because, again, it's in Arabic, but I thought that was kind of interesting mm-hmm. as soon as you guys brought up palm reading. Mm-hmm. Also, this poem doesn't have a title, and it ends in dot, dot, dot. Dot, dot, dot. I'm also curious kind of whose hand is outlined, mm-hmm. like if it's the actual author's or... If she chose somebody else from her life, it yeah. meant something. And there's kind of multiple stories going on in that poem. Like, the first one I thought of is the um, Scheherazade from 1001 Nights. That could be her narrative um, mm-hmm. being dragged to by her abductor, the, the king, um, to his home. And then, like, turning over the knights and, like, because she was alive for, I think it was a thousand and one nights, mm-hmm. um, and then I think maybe on the a thousand and one night he freed her. Well, not freed her, but he married he, like, her. Pardoned he, her he from spared her life. life. Um, but then it could also just be an abductor in in a in a violent way like in in war like someone kidnapping a child or yeah there's just so many different stories there but i kind of like that ambiguous nature of of this poem that there's so many different interpretations and thanks for listening to our podcast today